Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. Inspired by the mission 7 Billion Fulfilled People, I track down the greatest thought leaders on the planet and interview them about happiness and fulfillment. Today I'm speaking with Carl Honoré. Carl is the author of the international bestseller In Praise of Slow, which dissects our speed-obsessed society and celebrates those who have gotten in touch with their inner tortoise, as well as the books Under Pressure and The Slow Fix. Carl's TED Talk has been viewed two and a half million times and he's been described as the unofficial godfather of a growing cultural shift towards slowing down. Carl, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, good to be with you. I heard a, uh, I heard quite a funny story about a friend of yours who works in a bank in Vancouver and the tradition they had there about whoever went home first. Can, uh, yeah. can, can you maybe just share sure. that? Sure, yeah, that's such a perfect encapsulation of the absurdity of our FaceTime, long hours, faster is better culture. So a friend of mine was working in a, on the fourth floor of an investment bank in Vancouver. So he's in the engine room, lots of very intelligent, highly motivated, high-charged uh, bankers. And they had a ritual, which was that whoever went home first at the end of the day it didn't matter if you would got everything done. It didn't matter if you'd broken all your trading records. If you went home first, you came back the next day and found a stuffed dog on your desk. And the reason, the reason they did that was that in Canadian slang, dogging, which means something very different in British slang. I was going to say, I'm, 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 I think yeah. you live in London. I'm originally from London. England. And so yeah. I think English dogging is something else. We, that, that can well, be a whole different interview. That's a, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian slang, it's a much more innocent definition. And dogging just simply means being lazy, you know, slacking. So you had this, as a result of this ritual, it, it, it created this bizarre scenario where every evening as the sun disappeared behind the snow-capped peaks and rollerbladers came out on a Kitsilano beach, you know, Vancouver, the perfect city to slow down in after work. You had all of these highly competitive bankers sitting locked in a kind of Mexican standoff, you know, looking at each other, seeing who would go first. And, you know, I, my friend said sometimes he'd stay there for two hours, right? Because he didn't want the dog on his desk the next day. And, you know, eventually this, this word of this ritual got up the food chain. And, and, and that's a whole other story. It was the, the, the tradition was brought to an end happily. But, but the very fact that it exists, I think, underscores just how how silly we can be about the way we use time and the way we think about rest repose, changing gears, all that stuff, and how even the most intelligent driven people, maybe even especially the most intelligent driven people can get stuck in roadrunner mode. You, you mentioned rest there. Like, the idea that you can get more done by working less, it, it's an exciting idea, but how is that actually possible? Like what, how, cause that a part of our brain is like, no bullshit, but there's science backing this up now, isn't well, there? Well, there is, there's plenty of science. And, and the part of our brain that says no bullshit is the part of our brain that's still thinking about work in terms of the Victorian industrial era. Uh, largely, you turned up at a factory, you worked, the harder you worked, the more stuff, the more widgets you got through down the line, and the more productive you were. That's not the way most of us work nowadays. Most of us thrive, and what we deliver uh, to our employers and to ourselves if we're self employed comes through much more woolly forms of work. So it's kind of, uh, making connections socially. It's creative thinking. It's stuff that's very hard to package up and accelerate. And so when you talk about the, the benefits of slowing down in the workplace and how you can get more done with less, what we're meaning is that there are times to shift gear into a slower, more relaxed, more unhurried state. And when you do that, the science shows fairly clearly that the brain moves into a richer, more nuanced, more creative mode of thought that you know, psychologists call that slow thinking. And I think anyone who does any kind of creative work knows that you need moments of silence 
moments where you're not distracted by your phone and several other tasks on your agenda. You just need to slow down. And and I think that there's a, 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 a canard, there's a kind of misleading idea in the workplace nowadays, which is that more is more. And I think more and more, if I'm not using that word too often in the same sentence, uh, people are realizing that that's just folly, that actually by changing gears, by having moments of slowness, you come back to the faster moments, more productive, getting things done more quickly. And that brings me to what I always call the delicious paradox of slow, which is that by slowing down, not only do you get better results, quality before quantity, but often you get them faster. You know, you have to slow down in order to speed up is another way of thinking about it. A little while ago, The Economist magazine did a big survey looking at the speed and pressures in the modern workplace. And they came to the conclusion that some things are getting faster, principally information technology, but other things are not getting faster. In fact, you need to keep a kind of slower beat going at the same time as the beat accelerates in other ways in the workplace. And the final paragraph of that survey from The Economist was a perfect, very economist, pithy, like summation of the slow philosophy that I've been espousing for years now. And it said simply, forget frantic acceleration. Mastering the clock of business means choosing when to be fast and when to be slow, right? And there it is in in very few words in a nutshell. And that's The Economist magazine, right? It's not Buddhist Monthly. It's not Acupuncture Weekly, right? It's the in-house Bible of the the go-getters, the entrepreneurs, the fast movers, right? The the move quickly, move fast to break uh, things crowd. That's the magazine they will turn to to work out how to make sense of the world. And that magazine is saying the same thing that you know I'm saying and anyone else who embraces this slow revolution is saying, which is that slow has a role to play in the 21st century, a big role. And then that's, I guess that's, um, I guess one common misconception that you hear a lot um, is, you know, people would jump on this idea of slow and be like, well, that, that's stupid. You can't just be slow the whole time. And you're not actually advocating just everyone doing every single act slow. It's about that balance. There's a place for the slow and there's a place for the, the speed. And it's, it's understanding that sort of that balance. That's the key. It is. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I heaven forbid, I, I can't think of anything worse than a world where everything is slow. I'm a naturally fast person myself. You know, I live in London. I play ice hockey. I like speed. Uh, but yeah, it's about that change of gears, the balance is one way to talk about it, but it, in some ways you've got to have moments where you're going very fast and very slow. And it's, I don't know if it's about the, 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 the moving back and forth across it. I think of it more as a kind of musical metaphor in a sense that what musicians call the tempo justo, the idea that each moment or piece of music has a natural rhythm and tempo for it. And I think we're the same as human beings and each moment has its own natural tempo. And if we find the right tempo for that moment, you know, this moment here for you might be this speed. For someone else, it's that speed. Then then things start to unlock and flourish. And I think the real magic lies in the dance that goes on between fast and slow and all those different speeds, rhythms, tempos, and cadences in between. Yeah, like you said, like ice hockey, some things can be really fast, but some things, however much you'd like to like accelerate them, you know, love, friendship, you can't just be like, you can't just like get trust, you know, click your fingers and be like, you know, trust me. You know, that, exactly. that, ta- that takes years of actually being a good friend, you know, being a great listener. So how can we work out that dance? I think it's, I think it's case by case, simply because there is no universal formula. I mean, each person will be different, but the principle holds true across the board, which is that certain things require more slowness than others. And you put your finger on one, which is central to the human experience, which is social relationships. You know, we are social animals. We we thrive on that. We needed it. It, it makes us well. It makes us whole. It gives us meaning and purpose uh, to have strong relationships. And yet, what have we done with relationships? We've we've accelerated them too. So people people have 921 friends on Facebook, but 
maybe they don't have a person they can turn to in a real dark crisis. Uh, or, you know, the, the, the gadgets are connecting us and allowing us to communicate faster than ever before. But look at how many misunderstandings there are and how lonely people feel, even in big, bustling cities or in the heart of large companies. So it's I, th- I think you've got to coming back to this idea of what is the balance. I, I, I'm just going to resist saying there is a, a, a formula because there, there clearly right. isn't. I, I think you just have to say I'm going to move into each moment with a simple principle welded into my cerebral cortex, which is I'm going to. Try and approach this moment and try and do the thing I'm going to do as well as possible, not as fast as possible. And once you change that chip, that will open up the door to you finding what the right tempo is for you in each moment. So, so you've been studying this, I think, was it, is it, is it 15 years, 17 years? Around it's, getting on, it's getting on for about 14, 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, like, how have you noticed, if, if, if at all, uh, a cultural shift from when you first started like you know championing these ideas to now have you noticed a massive monumental shift in just like the collective consciousness towards this idea like how have you have you seen over the last i think and a half? i definitely i i if i go to back to the beginning you know 15 years ago when my uh what do we think no 13 years ago 12 13 when the book my first book came out i even at the start even though it, it hit hard and landed and there was lots of attention i still felt at the beginning that a little bit like a voice a lone voice in the wilderness <laughs> i don't feel like that anymore you know i the the questions people used to ask me were what is this slow thing can we do it does it even exist now the questions i ask are what's happening now in the slow movement you know <laughs> or rather than questions people coming to me and saying look what i'm doing by using this slow lens in my company in my community in my school my classroom my family right so it's i've seen a tectonic seismic shift and you know, I just think it's it's much more permissible to embrace your inner tortoise than it was, you know, 10, 10 odd years ago. The, you, you just one example is if you look at, say, the workplace, no self-respecting company now lacks some kind of wellness program, does it? I mean, that's that's just a given. And big part of all that wellness stuff is slowing down. It's looking after yourself. It's taking time. It's eating well. It's having strong relationships uh, or the the way the mindfulness revolution is roaring through the corporate sector. I mean, that is a perfect example of people saying, you know what, we need to slow down. I mean, mindfulness meditation is the ultimate form of slow. You can't be any slower unless you're asleep, right? Uh, And I'm not so sure if that would have gone down. It clearly didn't go down that well 10 years ago. Whereas now, you know, every single company will be thinking of or will already have some kind of mindfulness program offering for its staff. So I think that shows that people are less afraid of slow that the taboo that is so welded and hardwired into our culture against the very idea of putting the brakes on that taboo is is weakening it's dwindling it's it's unraveling and it's not gone yet the 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 hallmark the keynote of modern culture remains speedaholism and acceleration and a placing on the pedestal of the idea that more is more and faster is better but that idea is now very much coming under review and and i feel immensely optimistic now compared to what i felt like 10 years ago let me tell you what i based on what i see and hear you talk about taking a personal audit what do you mean by that uh well i mean two things one in a broader sense just pushing pause in your own life and taking time to think about who you are what's really important to you and what kind of life you want to be living because i think what often happens is when we get stuck in fast forward we lose sight of ourselves we lose our own identity we lose memory as well nothing sticks we're moving so fast everything's a blur and you lose 
a sense of what kind of path you should be on. And I think slowing down is always the first step to working out what that right path is for you. I also use the phrase personal audit in a different context, which is just a simple, or I call it the speed audit, which is just a simple technique or hack people can use during the day to slow down. And it goes like this, where just at random moments, without timing it or having a reminder on your iPhone, just every once in a while, stop yourself and say, am I moving through this moment at the right speed? And if you are, uh, that's fine. Carry on. <laughs> Continue. Or if you're, if you're not, which you very often won't be because you'll have been infected by your own hurry or the impatience of other people and you're going too fast, then just take you know three or four breaths, slow yourself down physiologically and go back to doing the same thing with that kind of slow mindset or state of mind. Um, and that sounds small. It sounds silly. It sounds like it might not have any effect, but the, con- the opposite is true, that uh, often small changes like that can make a big difference. We uh, we love the idea of these like eureka moments, these uh, aha moments. So you know, you're kind of sitting in the bathtub or whatever. But how, how can we actually create more of these? You, you you believe these can be well, at least we can create the environment for them to be more conducive. And um, yeah, how, how so? Because I mean, I, I think it, it, it was quite uh, aptly put that you don't have those eureka moments when you're suddenly like going through like quickly for your inbox or rushing around, you know, with like, oh, you know, doing did. shopping or whatever. It's like, it's when you have that time just to sit back and reflect, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And that comes back to that idea of, of slow thinking that the brain, when you're in those multitasking, frenetic, fast dash to the finish line moments that occupy so much of our daily grind, the brain just is not in a place or a mode where it can get into that deeper, richer, more creative mode of thought. So you just end up skimming the surface. You don't have those breakthrough flashes of genius, those eureka moments of blue sky thinking. What you have are little squirts of triviality. So you think, you know, where, where are my keys? I'm late for my 11 a.m. <laughs> You're not asking the bigger questions or, or have the time to confront them or unpack them or parse them or make sense of them. So how do you do it? I mean, I, I think a lot of it comes down to reshaping how your day looks, uh, you know, finding not only moments, but physical spaces where you can get away from the distraction, the noise, the the contamination of other people's hurry and impatience, and just be in those moments. So it could be as simple as something as simple as getting up from your desk at work and going out of the building and walking around the block, you know, without your phone for five, 10 minutes, or if there's a quiet room at work going in there, or uh, it used to be until quite recently, I think in the corporate world, the one place people would find that refuge and tap into that deeper, slow, creative thing. It used to be the toilet, right? You'd go to the toilet. Now people go to the toilet with their phone, right? So even that moment's been, been taken away from us. So if you want to carry on doing it, the toilet, you know, don't take your, don't take your, your smartphone in with you. Uh, but I think I think most of us can find and carve out those little sacred moments. I mean, I'm going to use that word because I think they are they're They are what make us whole. They're what make us human. They're what tap us into something much deeper than our to do list. And and the levers are there for all of us to pull. I heard about this a while ago, but it's great to hear you um, sort of just reiterate it like in, in, in a really great way about just the myth of multitasking. We we we. Uh... We idolize or like put on a pedestal this idea of, look, I can do lots oh, of things at once, but it's like it, multitasking actually physically isn't possible. How so? Well, it's one of the it's one of the great toxic myths of the early 21st century, this idea that somehow multitasking is the way forward. And, and as you say, you even see it in, in job ads, right? You know, we want a multitasker. But yet the, the, the facts are, are there right in front of our eyes. I mean, all the science shows that the human brain cannot multitask. We cannot think meaningfully mm. about two 
complicated things at the same time. It just, you, you can't do it. So when you think you're multitasking, what you're actually doing is just juggling or you're toggling back and forth between activity one, which gets, I don't know, five seconds of your attention. Then you pull out, you move over to activity two, that gets six seconds, 10 seconds here for activity three, then you're back. And that turns out to be just as cognitively wasteful and inefficient as it sounds. It turns out, and again, this is shown by the, 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 the studies and research people are doing, or people even doing in Silicon Valley, right, where they're the great avatars of multitasking reside. Uh, the, the studies show that comparing a multitasker who's juggling all those things at once versus a monotasker, one person who focuses, slows down, does everything at the right speed and one thing at a time, the multitaskers on average will take up to two times as long and make t- double the number of mistakes. So there's another example of how faster slow can be or that slow can be more efficient or more quick, right? Because you don't make as many mistakes. You get the stuff done because all, all that waste that goes on in the changing, the losing, getting your brain into this task, then needing to recalibrate it to move to something else. It just it just doesn't work. It, and yet, of course, as you say, the, the culture is constantly bombarding us with this idea that the multitaskers will inherit the earth. They won't. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> and, and one thing, I mean, like you used just there, you used the example of, um, you know, it's just, it's simply just not as efficient. But one thing, I guess I really kind of embraced this idea of like one thing at a time, maybe like three years ago. And apart from just being more efficient, it's just, it's so much like more fun because, yeah. um, like, so it's even down to the stupidest, simplest things. Like, um, you know, if I have a conversation with somebody, I, I want to be, I'm just 100% there. But if, even if I'm eating and watching a film, I'm only for like 50% watching the film, 50% enjoying the meal. And so it's like, right, no, no TV. Like literally, it's all about the food. And then the food finishes, then it's all about the film. And the film finishes, it's all about the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so the, just each of those experiences are so much like richer, more enjoyable, more memorable, rather than kind of just like, oh, I, I'm half watching yeah, Netflix, half, half enjoying this meal, half having conversation. I'm not really giving really respect to any of those things um and so you then none of them are memorable because they're kind of getting a bit of your attention the second you go just one thing at a time it becomes so fun um yeah, and so I'd, yeah true. it's 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 i was i loved hearing you talk about that that's well i think that's so true you put your finger on something so we haven't really touched on it we talked a lot about productivity and creativity but there's another leg to that table which is joy right mm. and pleasure and the things you've just rattled off there i mean it, so much of the pleasure of daily life goes out the window when you're doing two or three things at once because you're split, right? You're just spread too thinly. And it's when we focus down and do one thing at a time. Like Mae West said famously, anything worth doing is worth doing slowly. And again, in a way, she's talking about the same thing. She's saying, you know, here's a thing that's going to give you pleasure. Give it your full attention. Give it the time it deserves. Disappear right into it instead of trying to have one eye here, one eye there, and who knows, maybe your third eye over there. (laughs) You know, actually do think one at a thing at a time. And I think Maybe that explains why there's so much anxiety and unhappiness and depression nowadays. Perhaps, you know, I'm, it's a hard line to draw sure. in, in a hard pencil. But, uh, you know, the fact that we've got or are surrounded nowadays by unimaginable material wealth, you know, all this stuff, all this entertainment and diversion. And yet somehow it just feels like it's not really doing it for, for many of us. Right. It just feels very empty. It doesn't feel that fulfilling. And maybe that's because partly we're just trying to do too much. We're trying to cram. We stand in front of, we're like the person standing in front of a smorgasbord or a, or a buffet table, right? And loading up our plate 
with seven, eight, nine different bits of food. And how much fun is that ever, right? You know, the, the thing, anyone who spends a lot of time at buffets eventually learns the slow trick, which is you go up and you get one thing at a time. You really fuck, you enjoy that. Then you go back. There's nothing worse than the whole kind of the fast approach, which is the, the heavily laden plate with things bleeding into each other on the, I mean, ah, <laughs> save us all from the overloaded buffet plate. When you talk about slow listening, is that building on that idea of, just total presence, like just being totally there. It is. Yeah. Uh, and of course, listening is a good example of where we go wrong with the speed culture, because listening is one of those things you can never you can never speed up. Right. You 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 can't listen to someone faster, <laughs> no matter how much of a rush you're in. People are not podcasts. They don't come with a little dial. You can turn up to one point five speed. To, although maybe sometimes one might wish that they were, but they aren't. Right. So we have to live with the world that we live in. Uh, and and. I think what happens is very often when it's our turn to listen in a conversation nowadays, we're so distracted, we're so solipsistic, we're so disconnected from the other person that we're not really listening. We're not there. We're not present. We're not engaged. What we're doing is we're thinking about what we want to say next, waiting for the moment we can yeah, jump yeah. in. You know, we're reloading rather than actually listening. And a huge part, I think a huge part of this whole slowing down puzzle has to do with human connection and listening is is the vehicle into that you cannot oh, it's harder to connect without you know verbal exchange and verbal exchange is, is meaningless and scratches only the surface if people aren't listening so a big a big benefit of slowing down and one of the ways towards slowing everything down in your life is just trying to relearn the lost art of listening you know taking time to really to focus on and at first it takes effort right you because i think we as i say we've lost the the habit the knack to get it back there's a transitional period where it can be a bit uncomfortable. It can be a bit of a bit of an effort to do. You've got to think, okay, I need to focus on what this person's doing. Put a, put away the thoughts of what I want to say next. Listen, maybe repeat back to that person in your own words something they've said. You know, let them know that they're actually what they're saying is landing, it's moving through you and coming out in your own version. You know, little tricks like that to start getting back to listening. And then pretty soon you'll find, I certainly find myself, that it ceases to feel like a chore. And becomes joy again, coming back to that idea of the happiness and joy we were talking about, that, that really conversations are just, I mean, it's just a wonderful thing having a conversation. I just, I was on a, on a bus in London the other day and I don't wear a watch anymore. It's part of my try to reclaim control over time thing that started many years ago and never, never left. And I just, I, I didn't have my phone with me and I, did, I needed to know what time it was because the bus was running late. So I asked somebody uh, sitting on the, uh, this woman sitting across me and and she told me what the time was. And of course, she asked, why don't you know? And then we went on from there. We ended up having this long conversation. And it was just we both kind of instead of looking forward, we both kind of turned towards it. It was just a and we talked about the some paintings that we'd both seen in a in one of the galleries in London. It was just a and then I yeah we got off the bus and I haven't seen her since and, and probably won't. But it was just one of those little moments that illuminate the human experience, right, that that enrich it and, and make it make make daily life make what can otherwise be a boring grind make it sing right and listening is the way into that right i'm sure you've come across like loads of case studies or favorite stories or examples what have been some of your favorite ones i'll give you two i'll give you two examples that spring to mind one circles back to to listening and it's that a lot of the research shows that when uh doctors because you know often we go to the doctor and the doctor's distracted busy he or she's looking at the computer you've got two minutes to get you know it just this moves way too fast but they found uh, pretty clearly that when doctors listen, when they look at a patient in the eye, they, they properly listen, that the patient relaxes. And when a patient relaxes, then the kind of natural healing mechanisms kick in. And very often the patient gets better 
the faster, right? Which again brings us back to that what I described earlier as the delicious paradox of slow. That by the doctor slowing down at the beginning, you get a better result and a faster result later on. Uh, and, and so I, that 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 to me is a I mean, the, the studies are very clear on that, and that's something that every healthcare system in the world should be should be looking at hard. Another example I came across recently, which tickled me, was a an entrepreneur, and he was I met him on a on a plane, and he was we were talking about how the whole the whole problem of defending your vacation from from all the intrusions, the electronic intrusions that come from the workplace, friends to social media, but mainly the workplace, you know, especially in the United States where people take tend to take shorter vacations and they're always checking or they're getting email from the office and they almost never really get away fully. And this high flying entrepreneur, very busy, very successful, said to me he, he hadn't had a vacation in years without checking his email several times a day and being distracted. Then he realized at one point that most of the emails could wait and they just he, so he decided to draw a line in the sand. And the way he did it was he went on a vacation for three or four days and before going, he put out a an automatic reply on his email, set it up. And it said, thank you for your email. Uh, I'm away on three days to recharge my batteries. I'm not looking at email uh, for that, for the reason that I, you know, to, to make myself a better version, I will be able to work better. I'll serve you better when I return. Uh, and so please wait till I get back. But if this is an irresistibly urgent request that you have, please resend your email to the following email address. And then he wrote, ruin my vacation at gmail.com <laughs> and i thought that's just inspired and i said well that's obviously very amusing and it probably what happened how did it play out and he said well you know nobody ever wrote to me and i've carried on doing it no one's ever written to me on vacation and i've never missed a job i've never fallen off on a deadline you know nothing the world has never ended while i've been away and actually i've heard that some of the people i know and content, you know, in my my network, started doing something similar. So, uh, I, I think, and I think the fact that your people, he's using humor, is also worth remembering because, again, coming back to this taboo of slowness, people often think of slow as being boring and torpid and unfun and lacking in pleasure and just dull, right? Whereas, in fact, I think the opposite is true. That by slowing down, living fully, enjoying things to the maximum. You're on fire. You're alive, and you're and you see the funny side of things as well. The one before that, when you mentioned about the doctor um, example, it made me think of, I heard, I'm trying to think, it, I think it was, it was in an interview, Oprah Winfrey was talking about, so she's obviously what, interviewed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in her career. At the end of every interview, like 95% of the people say some version of like, you know, was that okay? How was it? Like, you know, I like, how did I do? And she kind of realized how doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're super rich, famous or whatever, everyone kind of wants that sort of to, to be seen, to feel heard, to feel like, yes, you're enough. And when you're talking about the doctor, when if the doctor was truly looking at the patient and he was just totally there and it was like, it was, it was no one else in the world, but that person, it, could, it made me think back to like, yes, like, you know, I see you, you know, I'm care, I'm caring, I'm, I'm thinking about you. And it, it's, it's just an interesting, I guess, bit of human nature how we all just the simple act of just being seen and giving somebody your attention actually properly seeing somebody is one of the greatest gifts that you can give anyone it is and 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 what you, when i hear you say that it reminds me of how the, the greatest politicians always have that gift don't they you think of bill clinton the thing people always said about him was that no matter who you were if he was talking to you you felt like you were the only person in the world <laughs> Obviously, some politicians can exploit that and it can be a bit smarmy and so on. That need, that basic human need and hunger to be heard, to be understood, to be felt, to be listened to. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Uh, 
to me, it, I, I, I think to me, it's always meant the same thing. And it means a life of, of service to others, to be doing something that is about more than your own personal aggrandizement. And I, I'm doing a lot of that through my writing and speaking now, but I was a journalist before. And I, I, I kind of look back now and think that I, I went into journalism really very idealistically to save the world, but to writing about injustice. So something would change and so on. So I, it's definitely been a part of my life. And, and I think it's why I'm, my life feels fulfilled. I think that that's really what, in a way, human beings, we all aspire to. In fact, I'm writing something about this at the moment. So it's very much in my present and my thinking that, you know, the, the research shows very clearly that helping other people, giving of yourself to other people has a physiological payoff. You know, it strengthens our immune system. It enhances our feelings of well-being. It's the core of of human happiness and well, what do you call it? Contentment or happiness or fulfillment. A, a key part of it has to be living a life that is about more than climbing your own personal career ladder or padding your own personal pension pot. It's got to be about something bigger, something with meaning and purpose. Last one is how can people find out more about you and your work? Where can we send them? Uh, CarlHonore.com. There's lots of video audio lots of writing about slow in different forms and and maybe most important of all there's a, a links page which has links from slow everything you can think of from sex to education to design to travel you name it education it's in there so if you're looking for a way into the slow movement and a way to find other people even in your own area then my links page is a good place to start Carl, thank you so much i totally em- embrace this idea anyway and I've, I've, I've noticed a real amazing personal benefits ever since I've kind of like really embraced it maybe more and more in the last two or three years but I'm going to continue at you know and hopefully some more people will like to take a minute to slow down because it's I've, I've, I haven't come across anything but positive benefits from doing so so thank you for sharing it with our audience I really appreciate it <laughs>